Chapter 15, you should be there. Numbers chapter 15. I think I covered everything. I wrote everything down. Father, we do ask that you just bless this time of teaching of your word. And Lord, we thank you that all of us are here, the body of Christ. And, and Lord, again, I know it's a real busy time where there are kids that are at um, awards uh, things going on at school or uh, music uh, programs that are taking place. Um, because it's May and everybody's finishing things up. But Lord, for us who can be here, we desire once again to open up our hearts to you to hear your word. And Father, I just thank you that we can do that. And even though we are covering a portion of scripture that gets so largely ignored, uh, we know that there's application to be made. So Lord, help us to receive from you tonight. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 15, we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving to you, and, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice, to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering, or in your appointed feast, to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herb or the flock. Then he who presents this offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering of one-tenth of an ephod of fine flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering you shall prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for each lamb. Now as we enter into chapter 15, if you've been with us over the last couple weeks, in chapters 11 through 14 we've seen that as the book of Numbers is recording some of the experiences that the children of Israel had out in the wilderness wandering. The time span that is covered here in the book of Numbers is almost the entire 40 years, from the second year of their exodus up until the time that they're getting ready to go into the promised land, that new generation. And we know that, as we saw last week, that it is going to be this generation that came into the promised land, that um, are into the wilderness from Egypt, desiring to go into the promised land, that actually we saw because of their disobedience and their unbelief that the Lord came to them and said, listen, that you're going to die out here in the wilderness. You see, we saw in chapter 11 the children of Israel were complaining against the provision of God. They said, we're tired of this manna that we've been uh, eating every day. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to eat the fish and the meat there, and we want to have the cucumbers and leeks and onions that we had. And so as they were complaining against God's provision, we know that in chapter 11 that the Lord heard their complaining, and he was very much displeased with it. And so the Lord would deal with the children of Israel in their murmuring and complaining. But in that, we've seen a progression, haven't we? And we talked a little bit about it even on Sunday morning, that as they were murmuring and complaining against God's provision, and that's one of the things and big lessons that we learned in that chapter is, is that God has provided for us as Christians. He's provided for you and for me. And when we get to the point where we begin to murmur against his provision, understand that God hears that, and it's not pleasing to the Lord, just murmuring and complaining where God has you. And so remember as a child of God that the Lord has given us um, his son. We have forgiveness of sin. We have salvation. We have his promises given to us. Christ dwells in our hearts. We know that his word is true and his faithfulness is, is towards us. 
So we have been provided for. And as you read Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's a good chapter for us to go back and be reminded of because Paul takes us into the heavenlies. He begins to tell us that we as believers are blessed with every spiritual blessings that are in the heavenlies. You've been chosen. You have an inheritance. You have been redeemed. You have all these blessings that Paul reminds us of. So don't complain against the provision that God has given to you. And also, even in this life, we know that we have his promises, that he works good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. And we know that God is going to do the very best for you and for me as believers. So we can trust him, and we can rejoice in that, and we can be established in our lives with great peace and joy because we know that the Lord is faithful and true. And so uh, he has provided much. And then also in the New Testament, Paul told Timothy, learn to be content. And I want to remind you at this point in our study, I think that's so important that we do learn to be content because we live in a society where we want more all the time. We think more is going to bring us ultimate happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and and all of this. But more doesn't necessarily bring that. And so we need to learn to be content where God has us and what he's doing in our lives and be thankful. So that murmuring and complaining would move on as we went into chapter 12. There was Moses' siblings, Marion and Aaron, Aaron the high priest. There's Marion that was called a prophetess. And they came against Moses and said, Moses, you take too much upon yourself. We're pretty special too. We want to hear from the Lord. And we saw that it was there that the Lord dealt with Miriam and Aaron as well and rebuked them. But then in chapters 13 and 14 that we covered last week, that the Lord would bring them up to the border of the promised land as you compare it with Deuteronomy chapter 1. And the Lord said, go be, you know, to take the land, the land that is before you, and go and... Uh, I will drive out the inhabitants. We know the promise was given to them, reiterated to them, that I'm going to give you this land, a good land flowing with milk and honey, and I'll drive out the inhabitants that are there. And so instead of believing the promise of God and being established in that, what they did is they said, Moses, we want to send spies into the land. So they sent 12 spies, each you know, man from one of the tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel. So the 12 spies go in for 40 days. They come back carrying these great big grapes on a pole in between two individuals. And they called the place Eskal, which means cluster. And, and they came back and the spies said, the land is good. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And keep in mind that that term, milk and honey, it was describing a land that was very much going to give them abundance, very much is going to produce to where it was an abundance of blessing in the crops and the grains. God was going to bless them. It was a beautiful land. And so they came back and said, the land is a good land. Well, of course it was, because God said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But then 10 of the spies would say, nevertheless, there's a problem. There's, there's giants that are in the land. And there's fortified cities, and they're everywhere. And Anak is there, and they're huge, and we're back grasshoppers in their sights. And then you got the, the Canaanites that are there along uh, in the mountains, and you got the Amorites, and you got the Jebusites, and all the inhabitants that are there from the Jordan down to the south, to the coast, up to the north, to the mountains. And we cannot go into the land, because the land will devour us. 
and we will be defeated. And Moses, why did you bring us out here into the wilderness anyway for us to die and, and for us to bring our children into the land so where they can be killed as well? And so they refused to go into the promised land because they listened to the message of those 10 spies who were negative and began to murmur and complain and saying, we can't go into the promised land because we'll get devoured. And they would not believe the promise of God. And they did not go in to take the land. Now it was Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, that said, listen, if God has given us the land and told us to go in and possess it, let's go. Because if he's on our side, we don't need to fear those giants. And so huge lessons that we saw, and of course it correlated to what we are seeing on Sunday morning in the New Testament as we are in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And we saw that the writer of Hebrews was writing and telling us that make sure and beware of the sin of unbelief because you will experience that wilderness type uh, journey in life if you're not establishing God's word. And the Lord desires for us to be established in him and to take us into a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, the land of Canaan is not a picture of heaven, as some pastors and teachers will teach, because they went into the, the land of Canaan and they had to do battles. There were giants that were there. There were some defeats even that they had. Uh, there was conflict. We're not going to have that when we go to heaven. But it's speaking of a life now that we have come out of Egypt, the world, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and going to Calvary's cross. And as he went and died for you and for me and we receive him, and as we journey in life, the Lord desires for us to have that life. As Jesus said, I come to give you life and life abundantly. That is that life flowing with milk and honey. And what I mean by that is that just spiritual victory in your life and having a sense of joy and peace and, and having the strength of the Lord that's working through you and in you and knowing that God's word is true and, and being able to, to just see God working on your behalf because you are just moving forward in the things that God has for you and you're established and you have the strength of the Lord. That's what is being talked about and you have really true fulfillment and satisfaction that is in your life. And so many Christians, because they doubt God's word, because they're not established in the word of God, have a barren and dry type experience in their Christianity. And the Lord doesn't desire for us to have that. He desires for us to really have that life full of blessing. So here they, they didn't go into the promised land. And the Lord came back and said, because of their continued disobedience and because of their continued um, unbelief, that this generation... 20 years and above, those foot soldiers that were numbered there in Numbers chapter 1, that they're going to die out here in the wilderness. And for 40 years, it was actually the longest death march as they took lap after lap around Mount Sinai. And it was that generation that came out of Egypt, and those soldiers, 600,000 of the men that were counted, that should have gone in and taken the land, they ended up dying out there in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb because of their continued un belief and because of their continued disobedience to the Lord. So what we are going to see that when we move into chapter 16 and 17, we're going to see that that murmuring and complaining is going to continue. Murmuring, complaining against God's provision, leading to a hardness of heart, leading to unbelief, leading to being rebellious towards the Lord. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. Chapter 15 here, we see the law of the grain and the drink offering. We're going to see the law concerning, you know, the sin offering that is 
be provided. You might be thinking, why is this chapter all of a sudden tucked in to all this murmuring and complaining where you see they're complaining against God's provision and then they're complaining against Moses and then because of unbelief and complaining they didn't go into the promised land. We will see that continue. Why all of a sudden we see this tucked in in between these chapters? You might think it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it does and I'll tell you why. Because God did give them a promise that that new generation, your little ones that said that you were all concerned and were crying out and saying that they're going to die in the land, well, they're going to see the land. And they're going to be the ones that are going to drive out the inhabitants. They're going to be the ones that are going to drive out those giants. And so God is continuing to prepare this people to go into the promised land here. It's going to be a while, but he's continuing to give them the religious and ceremonial and civil laws that they were to run their nation by as they went into the promised land. And here in verses 1 through 5, they have just gone through failure. They've just been chastised by the Lord. They were even defeated by the Amalekites. Uh, they've been disobedient. But God is faithful to keep his promise. And he is going to give that land to their fathers that was swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and give it to those ones that will move in, that new generation. And when they go in, what they are to do is they are with their burnt offering. Now, you remember in Leviticus chapter 1 that the burnt offering was when that, that person came to the tabernacle and they brought that animal and then they would lay their hands and, and, and on that what you were doing as you prayed that that burnt offering was symbolic that you were consecrating yourself, dedicating yourself fully to the Lord. And so that you would pray on that, put your hands on that animal and what was in your heart and, and what you're praying really was transferred onto that animal. Then that animal was put on the altar and was completely consumed. And what it symbolized is that you came as the free will given of that animal and you were saying, Lord, I give myself completely to you. And we know in the New Testament that it is Paul that would write and say that we are to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, aren't we? And that's our reasonable service because of the mercies of God, because of how good God has been. And I pray for all of us that are in this room, for every area of our lives, that we would say, Lord, that I completely surrender myself to you. I dedicate myself to you. I, I desire to be established in your word and to walk in obedience and to please you with my life. And so that's just being a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Just, Lord, my heart is set on you, and I surrender my life completely to you. And when you come into the land and you give that burnt offering, what you are to do is you are to give it with the grain offering and you are to give it with the drink offering. And those offerings, as they would come, would symbolize that they were given that burnt offering with thanksgiving and with joy. In other words, no more murmuring. No more complaining. No more grumping and griping. That when you come into the land, I'm going to fulfill my promise. And you come in and you stand in that land and you say, Lord, we surrender completely to you in your burnt offering. That you give it with thanksgiving and you give it with joy. It's interesting that Paul the Apostle, some of the last words that we have recorded in the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he would say that my departure is at hand. And I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And Paul went through a lot, didn't he? He went through tremendous persecution and trials and difficulties. He was about ready to get his head lopped off by Caesar Nero as he's writing those last words. And he says, I'm being offered as a drink offering. My departure is at hand. 
And what he was saying in that is that even though that I'm going to be beheaded, I'm very thankful to the Lord and I have joy in my heart. And Paul the Apostle, absolutely amazing man, what I see as he writes those epistles, as we see him in the book of Acts, even though he went through such sufferings and turmoil, and he went through such persecution for the sake of the gospel, he had joy in his heart, and he was always thankful, wasn't he? He didn't murmur and complain. And he was thankful that he was saved by the Lord. He was thankful that the Lord used him to spread the gospel throughout the known world. And so Paul says, I'm a drink offering being poured out. And may you and I, each and every day as we wake up, and we say, Lord, this day is your day, that we would have a heart of thanksgiving and joy in our hearts. It's interesting that we saw the grain offering in Leviticus chapter 2, didn't we? And so we see some additional description of the grain offering here. And we see, again, that you and I, that as we journey through this life, and as we grow and mature, that the Lord is going to continue doing a marvelous work in showing us wonderful things that he has for us, growing us in his word. That's what he desires to do. And the key to doing that, folks, the key to growing in the Lord, in the word of the Lord, is that you have a heart that is soft before the Lord and that you have a heart of thanksgiving and that you have a heart of joy because of what Jesus Christ has provided for you and for me. No more grumbling. I think there's too much grumbling in the church today because we forget how much God has blessed us. And so here he's telling them about this grain offering and, and this drink offering that they were to present as they would go eventually into the promised land, verse 6, or for a ram you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephod of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hin of oil. And as a drink offering you shall offer one-third of a hin of wine as a sweet aroma to the Lord. And when you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, or as a peace offering to the Lord, then shall be offered with the young bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephod, a fine flour mixed with half a hen of oil. And he shall bring as a drink offering half a hen of wine, as an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. And so a sacrifice of the ram to be accompanied with grain and wine. Sacrifice of the bull, when you do that, accompanied with grain and wine. And then verse 11, thus it shall be done for each young bull, for each ram and for each lamb or young goat. According to the number that you prepare, so you shall do with everyone according to their number. All who are native-born shall do these things in this manner, and presenting an offering made by fire, sweet aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you or whoever is among you throughout your generations and would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly or for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations, as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. And so uh, thus it shall be done for each as we read in verse 11. Everyone who brought a sacrifice, it was be brought with joy and with thanksgiving. God didn't want, again, the, that sacrifice be brought with, with you know, a grudging kind of way, with murmuring and complaining. Of course, we've talked about how it would be Paul the Apostle that wrote in Philippians chapter 2, do all things without murmuring and complaining. And I'm not just talking about, oh, I had to change a dirty diaper in the nursery today. And we complain. But what I pray for all of us, wherever the Lord has us, and whatever it is that we're doing, that we wouldn't murmur and complain against the Lord. That we wouldn't complain against where God has me and what he's provided for me. 
that we wouldn't be ones that we go to work where God has us and, and we are murmuring, complaining with everybody else. But there would be a different spirit within us, and that is the spirit of integrity and honesty and trying to be encouraging and exhorting to others of the things of God. That we wouldn't be murmuring, complaining because I'm at home and I'm having to raise these kids and it gets very difficult at times. That we would see it as a real tremendous blessing and opportunity to be able to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. I know there are challenges. I know that there are sometimes frustrations that happens. I know that there's other things that come along that we get concerned about. But I pray that we would never develop that heart of just murmuring and complaining of what's going on in our lives. That we would have a heart of thankfulness and gratitude for where the Lord has us and what He's doing. And so this is what you're to do. That you are to bring that, each one of you, not with grudging and murmuring and complaining. And I'll tell you the truth on this. If you're serving the Lord in any way, and you're doing it complaining or murmuring or grudgingly, then stop. And I really mean that. You say, Pastor Jeff, you really know how to encourage, you know, or recruit people for ministry. But I'm serious, because you won't last long. In any ministry that you do, whether you're ministering to your children or perhaps encouraging somebody at work, whether you're ministering here in, in the nursery or in the bookstore or handing out bulletins, that you do it with great joy and see it as an honor and privilege to serve the true and the living God. And that's what's going to help you to last and, and, and enjoy ministry as you do it unto the Lord and be content with what God is doing with your life. So here we see each one do it to yourself, but also I want to throw something out, especially in this time of the year, is he would say, one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. We're in that time of the year, aren't we, where we got visitors that will come out, family members and friends that will come and see us. And I understand, folks, that, that we will go out and do camping and we'll go out with them and do other things and spend time with them. It's a blessing to be able to do that. But there are times also that as they do come and visit you, don't you change your routine and what you do in your home in honoring the Lord. And what I mean by that, if you pray before dinner, then you keep praying before dinner. Maybe they're unbelievers or maybe they don't do that. Don't think, well, I don't want to embarrass them or anything. That you be one, that you be consistent, that you be that light. You don't have to be obnoxious. If you listen to praise music, listen to praise music. And even if there's really not a whole lot of activity that's going on or you don't have anything planned and it's Sunday or Wednesday night, you can think, well, you know, I should stay home. You can say, you know what, we're going to go to church. That's what we normally do on Wednesday nights or that's what we do on Sunday mornings. Why don't you come join us? But our family, we go to church. And again, I understand sometimes we have plans and we have activities and enjoy your time with friends and families. But if you have those who come, they're not believers, they don't go to church or whatever, don't you change your routine and what you do in your home, but you reflect the Lord in your home. May they see the peace and the presence of the Lord in your home in what you do and how you conduct yourself and what you listen to in your speech and everything else. But I think sometimes too often that when the stranger comes in, they end up affecting us and we end up you know, doing a bunch of things that perhaps we didn't want to do. It's okay to say no if you don't want to do it. So as the stranger comes or whoever it might be, you represent the Lord well. 
and you keep focused on the Lord and keep uh, the praises of the Lord in your home. In verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer a heave offering to the Lord. And shall offer a cake of the first of the ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor, so you shall offer it up. Or the first of the ground meal you shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generations. And so simply a heave offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. And again, the Lord getting them focused on the promise that he was going to fulfill. And when we go into the land, bring the first fruits of the land as a heave offering unto the Lord. In verse 22, now we're going to see the law concerning the sin offering. And again, to remind you that we looked at in Leviticus chapters 4 and 5, the sin offering and the trespass offering, didn't we? And there was a sin offering for the unintentional sin. That's what it's going to be spoken about here in in verses 22 through 29. Now again, to remind you, you see those terms in the Bible, don't you? The term sin. You see trespass, that word, and iniquity. We've been forgiven of our sins, trespasses, and iniquity. Sin literally means that you missed the mark. You're trying to do your best. You know, you had that arrow pointed at that bullseye, and you missed it. And it's that way with sin. Sometimes we wake up, Lord, I give my day to you, and we don't intend to sin, but we get angry. Or a lustful thought comes into our minds or something. So that's sin. Transgression, what that speaks of, our transgressions against the Lord, speaks of there's a line. You know that it's there. You know that it's wrong, but yet you cross that line. And iniquity kind of covers it all. So here it's talking about the law concerning sin, unintentional sin. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord of the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations. Then it shall be, if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drinks offering according to the ordinance. One kid of the goats is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel and a stranger who dwells among them because all the people did it unintentionally. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in his first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. And in verse 29, you shall have only one law for him who sins unintentionally for him who is native born among the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among them. And so here, if you sin unintentionally, then the sacrifice was to be made. Now you remember in chapter 4 Leviticus, that there was a sin offering for the individual if the individual sinned. There was also a sin offering if the elders sinned. There was also an offering of the bull if the whole congregation sinned. And so in that, it was interesting that we talked about that it seems like not only are we held accountable for our sins, but there is, for example, leadership that is held responsible. Leadership of a church, we are held responsible before the Lord in what it is that we are doing and how it is that we conduct ourselves and how it is that we run the ministry. And the Lord will deal with the leadership. And there is also, it seems like, whole nations that we see particularly that are accountable before the Lord. And we see that pictured very well in the Old Testament, don't we? 
we saw that you go through the Old Testament that the Lord spoke of nations that he was going to judge. We know that his own people, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, that he would bring judgment because as a nation, even though there was remnants of people that lived for the Lord, but as a whole, they had sinned. We also know Leviticus chapter 16, that it would be the high priest that would go in and make atonement for the whole congregation, for the whole nation. So kind of interesting how there's sin offering for the individual, for the leadership, and also for the whole nation as well. And then in verse 30, the law concerning presumptuous sin, but the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he is native-born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. Now, here's the thing. This presumptuous sin, um, anyone who does this presumptuously sinning, what it's speaking about is a flagrant rebellion against God. Willful disobedience is what is being talked about. Matter of fact, when it says bring reproach on the Lord there in verse 30, it's, it's defiantly is what it means. It means with a high hand. In other words, shaking your fist at God. God, I am not going to believe you, and I rebel completely against you, and I'm not going to obey you. It's like shaking your fist at God. Or perhaps thumbing your nose at the Lord. And we live in a society today where we have those who just flaunt their sin. Before society and before the Lord, they don't care. And they will practice in that sin and flaunt that sin. And they will, you know, be militants to live that sin or whatever it might be with no regard to God or what, how it affects our society. We see that very much in our society today. So that's what's being talked about here, presumptuous sin, and just willful disobedience and rebellion against God here, not interested in, in the commandments of the Lord or the word of the Lord at all. And so verse 32, Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation and put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. And then the Lord said to Moses, That man surely must uh, surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. Pretty brutal, isn't it? I mean, you initially you read this and you think, that's pretty hard. But I think as we read this, that it is given an example of one who sinned presumptuously. The one who shook their fist at God. I don't think this is one who kind of woke up, and we know the Sabbath law given to the children of Israel. It was given to them when they came to the mountain of God there in the book of Exodus. It was repeated to them. The Lord said in Exodus chapter 31 that this is a perpetual covenant that I have made between me and the children of Israel. I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to talk more about that on Sunday. Because we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about entering into the rest of the Lord. And he's going to go back and he's going to talk about how God created for six days and he rested on the Sabbath. You see, the whole concept of the Sabbath rest goes clear back to Genesis chapter 2, doesn't it? It wasn't given to the children of Israel until hundreds of years later there in the book of Exodus. It was a perpetual covenant between me and the children of Israel is what God said. You work six days, the seventh day you shall rest. If you do violate that, you'll be cut off from your people. And so here we see 
don't picture it as this man, he gets up and he's kind of wondering, oh, I wonder what day it is, and, you know, he's half asleep, and I think I'll go out and gather some sticks so I can have a cup of coffee, you know, and make a fire. It wasn't that way at all. But this is one who said, I am not going to obey God, I'm going to violate it. And so we see the consequences of it according to God's law. The law kills, doesn't it? It's Jesus Christ and grace that brought life. And as we talk about, we're going to talk about what does it mean that Jesus is our Sabbath rest? I think it's very important that we understand that on Sunday morning. That we know that we have rest that comes from Him. And just as God created six days, don't think that God created six days and just kind of have a picture He took a day off. You know, it is He completed the work of creating. He looked at it all and he said, it is good. And so the seventh day was holy and he rested on the seventh day. In the New Testament, the Christians are not told to keep the Sabbath. Now you remember in Matthew chapter 12, there was Jesus there in the grain fields and him and his disciples plucking heads of grain and the religious leaders came and said, you're violating the Sabbath. You're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus rebuked them and said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it is beneficial for man to be refreshed and renewed, to take a day and just reflect on the Lord and be refreshed in the Lord. And I think that it is good for us to do that. And many of you, that you take the Sabbath principle, and that's very much a part of your life. And I think it's good for us, especially in these days, because... We get so busy and there's so much activity that's going on and this is going on and, and it just keeps us away from the Lord. It's good to have that time, have that day that you are to reflect and rest in the Lord, to take time and be with God's people. But I know that it would be Paul that would say that you let no one judge you according to Sabbaths and new moons and foods and festivals, which is just a shadow of things to come, Jesus being the reality, Jesus being the reality. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. What does that mean? God worked six days. The work was completed. Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews, is really going to press in. Cried out from the cross, it is finished. He's our Sabbath rest. And now we rest in the fact that he has saved us. And we enjoy him. And so Paul says to the Romans, one man esteems one day above another. One man esteems every day like you'd be convinced in your own mind. To worship the Lord every day. To be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. But we rest in the fact that the work is done, the price has been paid. Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. So we'll talk a little bit more about that on Sunday morning. So a little preview to that. So here's one that violated that, who, who shook his fist at God, and he would go out and violate the Sabbath. And then verse 37, again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a blue thread on the tassels of the corners. And shall have the tassels that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that you may not follow the harlotry to which you own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So here they're reminded that they're a holy people. And the Jews would wear what it was called this tassel of blue or this ribbon of blue that you still see them today wear. And again, it shows that they're God's people. It was to remind them that they were a holy people and that that color blue, the color of heaven, that they were a heavenly people. So that blue thread color of heaven, we are a heavenly people, aren't we? And we belong to the Lord. And because the Lord is holy, the Lord desires for us to be holy, to live for Him, to give to Him, to trust Him, and to look for Him. And we are going to go to heaven. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. And that's why we open up the communion table, just as what we're going to do tonight. And it is coming and remembering what Jesus Christ did for us as we hold the elements in our hands. It is for us believers who say, yes, Jesus, I know that you allowed your body to be broken and your blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. As I hold these elements, really coming in communion with God, thank you, Lord, having that heart of thankfulness, having that heart of gratitude. We remember, Lord, that's why we come to the communion table. We come in unity. We come with one heart and one spirit. And just continuing to worship the Lord. And that's what we're going to do tonight because we are a heavenly people. And so, Father, thank you. We thank you that we can come. Just as we're going to see on Sunday, bowling to your throne because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, Father, I pray that tonight we thank you for these important reminders for us as Christians today to surrender our hearts to you and our lives to you, to do it with joy and with thanksgiving, that we wouldn't have hearts that in a spirit of murmuring and complaining, of hardness of heart towards you and what you say to us, your promises given to us. That, Lord, that we know that you have what's very best for us in our lives right now. And then when we do face the challenges and the giants of our lives, when we face the difficulties, that we would look to you and trust in you. That, Lord, that we would not only trust in you, but enter into your rest that you desire for us to have. And that is resting in the fact that Jesus cried, it is finished. Resting in the fact that you desire for us to have that life abundantly, to experience the victory as a Christian in our spiritual walk, to, Lord, have the joy, your joy and your strength, your wisdom, to know you're going to direct us, that, Lord, you're going to provide for us. So, Father, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I do pray that tonight that you would just continue to, to just minister to us as we come to the communion table, as we hold the elements in our hands, that, Lord, that truly reflecting upon what Jesus Christ did for us and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. As we've entered into a new covenant, as you've written your word and your law in our hearts, Lord, and, Lord, each and every day we esteem you. And, Lord, we enter into your rest. Father, I do pray that you would just bless these students as they continue to study your word up at the Bible College. And as, Lord, the semester ends and they go into summer, Lord, that wherever they're going, back to California or their homes, that you would bless them and be with them. And, Lord, that you would take them back to the campus and Help them get a good night's sleep tonight and then safe travels tomorrow. We thank you that we can be with them, and it's so good to be with the brethren. And Lord, we thank you for Pastor Jeff and the work that 
him and Jenny are doing, their family, I pray that you would keep them safe. And Lord, you bless their summer as they have the camps going on. And Lord, I also pray that as we just have all these things that, that are happening so much at the church and, and things taking place, Lord, that we would keep our focus on you and that we would stay close to you. Lord, whatever you have for us when it comes to radio or missions, and Lord, I, I pray for Dr. Song, who's leaving Friday for Cambodia, and to see the, the equipment that we sent out th- three months ago to that hospital. And Lord, I pray that you keep him safe as he's traveling and going over there, and he comes back and gives us a good report. Lord, I pray for the graduates, the high schoolers, and for those in college, I pray that you would bless them. And Lord, they'd stay strong in you. And Lord, that they would look to you. And I thank you for the young people that are here, so many of them, that are devoted to you, who desire to know you, and that this generation of young people would stay strong in you, Lord. And Lord, that they would just stand fast on your word, not deny your name. And Lord, they would impact this world. And Lord, that you would be ones that would help us, that can stay committed to you, Lord, and that we would look to you for everything in our lives individually, Lord, in this place corporately. So, Father, we give you this time as we just continue to worship, as we open up the communion table, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.